Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Boston Balling. I'm your host, Gabby Hroba. I hope everyone had a great week. Um, it's Super Bowl week this week, so that's exciting. That should be a good game. We also had some pretty sad news in the Red Sox world with Dustin Pedroia announcing his official retirement from baseball. So that's definitely sad. He he left a big mark on the Red Sox, and he'll always be a legend there. So we wish him well in his future endeavors, but he'll he'll definitely always be appreciated by Red Sox fans. So that happened yesterday. But other than that, yeah, hope everyone's doing well and having a good week. I have a really special guest on the show with me today, and I'm really excited to have him. His name is Bobby Manning. Bobby, how are you? Doing great. Bring up Pedroia. He was definitely one of my favorite players growing up. And I was always a baseball guy when I was a kid. My uncle used to bring me to the games and I always thought I wanted to cover baseball. That was always my dream. But I ended up getting into basketball probably around 2014 more and then got deeper and deeper into the Celtics lane. So I never ended up going the baseball road. And I, you know, the way the baseball games have gotten longer and, you know, there's not as much stability with the players on the team year in and year out as there was during those Pedroia and Ortiz years. I'm kind of glad it went the way it did. You know, 162 games is a lot, <laughs> but I still love baseball when I get the chance. I still, I'm always going to love it. It, it. They just make it hard. They do. Yeah, no, I definitely understand that. I know a lot of people who are just like, you know, baseball's boring. I can't sit through a whole nine inning baseball game. It just is too is too slow. And the season, the season is pretty long. I mean, last year when they had the 60 game season, it was interesting. I think there were more people into baseball because it was a condensed season. So more of things mattered and for for standings and everything else so it was interesting how some more people watched it then but I feel like in a regular length season you don't get as many people watching baseball as you would other sports because it's hard to sit there for that long and watch a game and and be entertained yeah and I was excited for I think the original idea was like a one or two month dash to the playoffs and that actually ended up being what it was you're right 60 games and you're in so that makes it a little more exciting but it was tough in Boston because the Red Sox stunk you had three things working against them the Red Sox stunk people were furious about Mookie Betts rightfully so and you couldn't go to a game which kills I mean whether you like baseball or not, I think the experience of going to the games and hanging out there is different than watching on TV enough where people could get into that and the experience more than they would uh, watching a TV broadcast for four hours. Cause you make a day out of it. There's all the fun things about going to the game. So I think baseball more than any other sport really got killed by having no fans in the stands this year. Yeah, I agree with that too. Baseball is one of those sports that they really need that revenue from the fans in the stands. And I think the, the league was really hurting without that aspect. So I'm hoping that this year they can have fans in more of the stadiums. I think that would be really, really helpful for the game. And and they are saying that they're going to have a full length season this year and that it's going to spring, spring training is going to start on time. So that's pretty exciting. So hopefully, if hopefully that they can have a successful baseball season this year without any issues, but who knows really with, with what we're going through in this country and and everything else right now with COVID. So. Yeah. You never know. I want my baseball games back and concerts and all that stuff. You just took for granted year in and year out disappeared. And 
Uh, I remember my, I, I have a friend who lives close enough to Fenway and you could go up on his roof and during the games, you would just look over to Fenway and no one would be there. You could only just see it from a distance. So I'll, I'll really appreciate that next time I can go out there, even though the Red Sox still are on my bad side. You know, I, <laughs> 2018 was great. And then I think they just made some brutal decisions in years to come, but that's, that's a different conversation. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's definitely frustrating to watch, but I'm, I'm excited for baseball to come back. And I'm, I'm happy that it's, it's this month that we will start to see some games. Is that your game? So what's your, what's your favorite sport? What's your favorite team? Baseball is my favorite sport. Definitely. It's always been my favorite sport, a lifelong Red Sox fan. I grew up Mm -hmm. watching so many games. I mean, I like a bunch of different sports, but baseball is definitely my favorite. Would you, would, what would you say is your favorite? Oh, it's basketball by far now. So yeah. I, I started going to Celtics games the year they stunk, 2013-14, cuz you could go and buy like $11 tickets and move up to the front cuz no one was there. So you got to be close enough where you could hear the players and when you were able to go to that many games, it just drew me in a way that the other sports weren't able to cuz you know, Bru- when the Bruins got good, you know, you can't go to a game for any less than 100 bucks. Patriots yeah. obviously forget about it. You know, that's like 300 minimum. And then the Red Sox were always expensive too during their great years. So I was able to get close to that team. And the people who covered that team, because I, I always had dreamt of covering sports in a way that I couldn't any other professional sports team in the town. So once I started getting that feel and the team got good pretty quickly, they were in the playoffs within two years after that. Um, yeah. I just got drawn all the way in and I got different opportunities and I fell in love and then I ended up getting into the college game as well as I started looking into some schools and following college basketball a little more. So I love basketball, obviously the pace, the personalities, the storylines, I think Twitter too, you know, there's just such a robust basketball community on Twitter that that's the, it's just a fun sport. And obviously it's only gotten bigger. There's people around the world that you can connect with through it. So, you know, it bums me out sometimes that baseball has gone the way it has. And I think they've made some tough, decisions as a sport over the years and have been behind the curve on whether it be not being able to share highlights online that the way you can basketball or the pace of play as we can talk about all day long or just the marketing of their stars you know like you don't have a LeBron James a Kevin Durant a Kyrie Irving type figure in the MLB you know you have some amazing talents you know you can't ignore the power of a Mookie Betts or a Mike Trout or um even Joey Votto back with the Reds, I thought was one of the best players ever, but like people just, you know, walking down the street, people wouldn't recognize those guys or at the very least, like uh, connect with their personalities. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see what exactly what you're saying. Whereas with basketball players, their personalities are really, really shining through off the court and in press conferences or just the things they do outside of, basketball and I feel like that makes fans be able to connect with them more personally than they might with athletes from other sports and and they kind of know a lot more about the players just outside of the game of basketball yeah the way they've built it or it just gradually became over time and it probably started with Michael Jordan which was obviously before my time was like a soap opera just these larger you know reality tv that kind of thing 
social media, obviously, it easily adapted to when Shaquille O'Neal got on Twitter. You know, people forget Shaquille O'Neal was kind of one of the people who got Twitter rolling after his career with just tweeting yeah. funny stuff and sharing videos of him dancing and all this different kind of stuff. So you felt like you can connect with them in a way. And, you know, you mentioned the press conferences is obviously some iconic press conference moments. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the connection between player and city and the importance of one player on a singular team winning a championship, whether it be LeBron in Cleveland or Kawhi in Toronto or Paul Pierce here in Boston, that creates a special bond between these singular players and uh, the cities and the fans that you can't beat anywhere else. And I thought the thing that opened up my eyes too, was I uh, lived in Spain for four months in 2018 and I ended up connecting with some Celtics fans there. And I ended up writing a story about it because they had this whole group of fans in Spain who are just diehard Celtics fans. And what I've actually noticed, you know, you know this too, living in Boston, I'd say it's number one, a Patriots town. And then your second choice, whether you love hockey or whether you love baseball is either the Red Sox or Bruins, but the Celtics are kind of, you know, last in town, but around the world, around the country, like outside of Boston, there's a massive, massive Celtics fan base. And I learned that that goes back to Larry Bird and uh, some of the great teams that they had in the 80s. Those were the teams that people all over the world could watch. Uh, so like, there's just such an international hold in the game to where I could go to Madrid, being from Boston, and connect with some people thousands and thousands of miles away about the team. And I still have a group chat with them to this day. They're just huge, huge fans, probably bigger than some people you would find in Boston. And obviously you see that in Italy, you see that uh, in China and Asia, basketball has just gotten so massive. So like, you know, do you think of music as a language or these other things that are language that connects people across the world? Sports, basketball in particular has become that too. So that's another thing I love about it. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. I think it's a great sport to be around. And I think a lot of people that like basketball love basketball and get super into the players and the teams. And you're right. I mean, around the world, there are so many NBA fans and people that watch basketball and, and the international athletes that come over here to play. You're drawing in fans from those areas that those players are from, too. So I think that's that's another cool thing about it is that there's – a lot of talent everywhere when it comes to basketball and, and it kind of is a sport that that brings people together a lot from from all over everywhere yeah for sure i'm trying to think a celtics guy the one that sticks out to me uh above all probably in recent years is luigi datome who was a yeah. great player in europe uh, obviously huge in italy and he was only here for probably half a year but you yeah, felt he was not here for that long at all yeah you you, you felt whether it was reporters coming from abroad to cover him in particular, or just the resonance of the fan base online that you would hear uh, calling for him to get some minutes. And then when he finally did and made some shots, like just the connection to that one player because he resonates from that place. And I'm thinking Ricky Rubio and Pogasaw from Spain, uh, obviously Uka Doncic, Nikola Jokic from uh you know, the Serbia area there. And there's just countless examples. Giannis from Greece, players from Africa now. You know, there are tons and tons of players coming from Africa, whether it be Embiid or um, Pascal Siakam, or uh, there's just a million different examples there. It, like, it, you 
basically tick off a country around the world each year for a star to come out of. And that engages that country in a way like never before. So I'm interested to see into the future, whether you might even see different NBA leagues around the world. I know Mark Cuban talked about maybe having like an NBA Euro league, or uh, obviously they're setting up a league in Africa right now, an NBA Africa league that's going to be different clubs from Africa. So uh, I'm, the game's just going to continue to grow worldwide into the future. And Again, I think 30 years from now, we'll be looking at, you know, NBA teams overseas or in different countries, probably. Obviously, we have Toronto right now, but in different places like uh, Mexico, maybe, or uh, even London or Madrid. It'd be tough because they're so far away. Yeah. The travel probably wouldn't work, but who knows? Maybe there'd be leagues in those a lot places. Of, a lot of things that would have to be considered if they wanted to do that. Because like you said, with the traveling and everything else yeah. in time zones, it could get a little a little tricky to do that, but it, but they would have to work some things out. But it'd be cool if they could make that happen. Yeah, for sure. It'd probably be different leagues in those places, or maybe cooperation between the Euro League and have some NBA, uh, you know, prospect camps or ways for guys to come up now. Because we think about basketball too. Not as many players want to go to college anymore, at least yeah. the elite ones. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of different avenues for players to go to different destinations maybe it would be that euro league for players coming over from europe or uh, africa or uh, you know maybe we've already seen Lamelo ball and others have been interested in playing with different leagues abroad so maybe some americans would end up in those leagues as well it probably would be leagues in different geographical parts of the world rather than nba franchises in those places so you're right that that travel would be the toughest part if you're going to put a team in a different country yeah, no, definitely. I would love to see it, though. I'm sure a lot of NBA fans would love to see that. So I guess we'll see what happens as the sport continues to grow and evolve and continues to draw more interest from people. But I do want to talk about the Celtics. So I know that that you do cover the Celtics for, you know, a few different outlets, which is which is pretty cool. Um, so I know that this season has been kind of interesting for them just because they started off really strong and then there's been some frustration and just things that have happened that were kind of out of their control you know with COVID and Tatum being gone for a while and Kemba coming back from injury so the thing about Kemba that I think a lot of fans have been getting frustrated with is just the fact that he hasn't been performing the way that people expect him to be performing right now. And I was giving him the first few games to come back and I was like, okay, you know, he'll be rusty. I think that's fine. Um, give him some time, but you know, it, it's still been a little bit frustrating with him watching him play. And even in that game against the Lakers over the weekend, I really, really was hoping that he would make that shot at the end and that they would win the game. And I was like, this is, a, this is Kemba's moment. Like he, he, this is the moment that we need to be able to trust him to be the player to score that type of shot at that point. And, and we're just not really seeing that from him yet. Do you think that there's a big concern with him? Because I know there's people that are talking about how we should trade Kemba. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, the fan base was freaking out over the last two weeks yeah. in a way that, you know, people are always going to go crazy after losses, but it was getting drastic after the last couple of weeks. So I'm looking at Kemba's game log now, the last six games. Obviously, that first game back was a mess with against oh, yeah. the Knicks there. That and was really the, bad. The last two were pretty rough too, especially the Lakers ones. But you did have a few games in between there where he looked – 
had the burst and was effective in a way that resembled his old self a little bit. The three-point shot with him is a struggle right now. That's probably getting his legs under him to some degree right now. He's not able to play on back-to-backs. His minutes are limited. And I keep hearing from Brad Stevens and others around them this, this talk of him getting into a flow throughout the course of the game. He's the kind of guy who needs 35, 40 minutes to get into a rhythm, get that step back under him, get used to the movements and the flow of the game in a way that can get him hot. Uh, throughout the game you know he's dealing with longer stretches on the bench right now I know early on he was so limited especially in those Knicks and Philly games that he went large stretches of those second halves without playing at all more you know he was on the bench more often than those stretches than not so we're six games in it's too hard to call him out and you know be doubtful about the future right now health wise I'd say uh, that you know, we'll wait, we'll wait a couple more weeks and just see how it looks there. I don't see anything with him that makes me worried about his burst or his physical ability to play the game right now. He feels good. He's pain-free. Obviously he said that in the past different times where he actually was going through some pain. So it's tough to read that from him too. So I think you just have to be patient with him right now. The one thing I'll say though, that is a real concern with him. And I've talked about this on our post game show a couple of times, and I wrote about it for CLNS media. Uh, this role that he's in right now. Obviously, when he got here, he was the best player on the team for the first month or two. You know, he ended up being an all star last year with the team off that great start that he had. And it was undoubted, undoubted that he was going to come in as a max free agent, have the ball in his hands all the time, be the playmaker, be the top option uh, to shoot and score the ball. Then, obviously, Jason Tatum passed him. And he was fine with that. I think that's the great thing about Kemba is that he's willing to take a backseat to younger, better players here while still being a great player in his own right. You know, there's role players in the NBA who are fine being role players, but they're not going to give you the best production. I think what's great about Kemba is he can give you that great production while facilitating and taking a backseat to another guy as he did with Tatum. And that worked well. They made the Eastern Conference Finals off that formula. The question now, and obviously he's going to be here through about 2023, is can he be the third guy behind Tatum and now Jalen Brown, who is so good that he's been an all-star starter in many people's list to start this year. It's undoubtable that Tatum and Brown should be the first two options on this team. So where does that leave Kemba? With the ball in his hands a little less, uh, you know, with less shots per game to get that rhythm. Uh, even maybe at some point less minutes per game. Now, I still think he could play with some bench units and lead those bench units and be the main guy with those bench units, not necessarily go to the bench, but within the flow of the game, play with some bench units and you know lead those units. But when they're all on the court together, Tatum, Brown, and Kemba, where does he fit in? He's not a guy who is shot off the catch a ton. You know, We know what he looks like. He dribbles a bunch. He pulls up off of that. He takes those step backs, and he's been doing that his whole life. So this is the first year in his life that he's switching to more of a secondary role. So I think that's something people have to consider more in general. He might not be able to make that transition. And that would be a huge concern for the team into the future if he needs to get time on the ball and hefty amounts of shots to be effective. And he's not going to be effective otherwise. But I don't think the bill's out on that yet. I think they can find ways to get him shots off the catch. He's a great shooter. He hasn't done that a ton in his career, but I don't think that means he's bad at that. The health's just a top concern. You want him to be healthy, and I think everything falls from there. And so far, I think, from what we can tell, he's been healthy. He's been getting better. It hasn't been even. You know, obviously, he's probably not going to play tomorrow. He probably will play tonight. 
and the back-to-backs will still be something you can't do right away. But we're we're six games in, and people want to trade him or dump him for Isaiah Thomas and all this other overreactions. Listen, there's reason to be concerned about Kemba. I don't think his days of ever being that all-star from the first few months that he was here in Boston are going to come back again because it was just a completely different circumstance. But you would still rather have Kemba as your third option than many other point guards in the league. Yeah, and even with just the the way that this team operates and the chemistry, Kemba's a good guy to have around, a good personality type of guy to have in the locker room for a lot of the other players on this team. And, and it shows that there's a, you know, a difference with him than than we've seen with with some of the point guards in the past and I just feel like having Kemba with this team and and this mix of players it it works well off the court and basketball is a big chemistry sport and it's it's really important that players can click and connect outside of the sport and and off the court and I just feel like that it makes a big difference when you have somebody like a Kemba who's a team player and encourages his teammates to go and be successful. I feel like that's something that can really help them going forward. And not a lot of other teams might have that same type of chemistry that they have. And Kemba just brings a lot of positivity off the court too, to this team, I feel like. And when you say that it's, it's an overreaction right now to say that he should be traded, I'm totally with you on that. I, was kind of laughing when I saw some things on Twitter about people saying, you know, it's time to get rid of Kemba. And I'm like, I mean, the guys, the guys six games into the season, I mean, he was, he was, he was out, you know what I mean? He hasn't, he's been away from the sport and you can't expect him to come in and be perfect right when he comes back. And, you know, some of those other players really were stepping up in his absence too. And so it's, it was, it was going to be, we knew there was going to be, a matter of having to reacclimate him back into everything on the court. There wasn't, that shouldn't have been a question in anybody's minds that he needed some time to come back and, and look like the Kemba that we know is exists and can play. And you know, that Knicks game, that was pretty scary. I, I was like, we can't be getting blown out against the Knicks, but circumstances in that game were, contributed to that and it was Kemba's first game back and he kind of played as I expected him to play looking rusty and not taking some good shots and and a lot of other things too but I think that in terms of the future and and just looking longer term I do over the next couple years I do feel like Kemba's a good option for this team and I know that there might be some frustration with him right now but once he can can get fully back into the flow of things I think that he's going to be a guy that people find is really good to have both on the court and off if they want to make a serious championship run. I I think Kemba's a player that I would want to have out there on my team. Yeah, I think what you said about the long-term vision too is so important this year. You got to have some patience and a little bit of restraint seeing results this year. Because if you look across the NBA right now, I think 20 out of 30 teams are within four games of 500. Everybody's beating everyone. Yeah, countless teams have gone through COVID hiatuses and the Celtics actually made it through that stretch that they had better than you would have expected with some help of a one week layoff. They've kicked a lot of those games back, so they could be in a little bit of a worse spot now if they had to play those games as undermanned as they were. Uh, So all this stuff has to be taken into consideration right now. Now, am I a little concerned 
that there's sloppiness on the defensive end, which has irked me all year. And yeah. the Kemba return hasn't been as straightforward as you would have expected it to be. And, you know, rookies have gotten hurt now and Peyton Pritchard and Smart's going to be out for a good amount of time now. Some of this stuff is concerning. But if you look at this bigger picture and what they're ultimately going to try to retain here, the starters from last year have only gotten 21 minutes together, two games, and then Smart goes down. Uh, you're talking two or three games now with Tatum, Brown, and Kemba together. So that whole thing I just talked about with them finding a way to play to each other effectively is like days old at this point. Uh, and then, you know, lesser stuff like practice time and even just uh, COVID after effects with a guy like Jason Tatum and Rob Williams has all impacted this team. So if you look at the bigger picture and what's going on right now, what are they about two games over 500 at 10 and eight? Yeah. I would I would have taken it. I said if this team made it to 500 through that whole stretch without Kemba, I would have felt good about where they were at. And they were much better than that. So they've dipped a little bit since, which is what concerns me because I thought they would have gotten everybody back and just went on a roll. Yeah. Now they have to deal with some other injuries and stuff like that. A tough West Coast trip ahead. So there's just going to be stuff impacting them all year I think that's going to weigh down on them and I think Celtics fans are a little spoiled because three of the last four years this was one of the best regular season teams in the NBA and they have put such an emphasis on winning so many regular season games they haven't been LeBron and the Cavaliers who are just coasting through the regular season and trying to get to the playoffs I think you see a little bit of that with Tristan Thompson now too I mean he's 29 he's 10 years into his career he was hurt during training camp so he's just trying to get his legs under him. And I've been disappointed with his play too. But again, I look at this for 16 games in and they got to get to April and May when this is actually going to matter. So things have changed a bit with the circumstances here and with this team's vision, they're trying to win a championship. So yeah. like, I can't look at game 16 and, February, as much as we want to buy into all these games and think they're working important, you know, I love the regular season as much as anybody. Two million people watched that Lakers game the other night. So people had bigger expectations for that too. But like, there's a bigger picture here. They got to get to the playoffs healthy. They got to figure out their lineups and rotations. Do I think this team needs a trade? Yes. I think they need some help, but let's look at the bigger picture right now. Jason Tatum is playing like an all-star. Jalen Brown is playing like an all-star. Uh, Rob Williams has been awesome. Daniel Tice has been great. Marcus Smart was playing great to start this year. I mean, that's, a, that's I liked what I saw from him. Yeah, when he was playing at the beginning of the season too. I mean, where would this team be without Pritchard now? When you think he's going to be coming back soon and filling in for Smart, yeah. and he filled in for Kemba to start this year. He was yeah. a big part of how good they he, started. He, he was becoming a really important part of this team. So when he comes back, that's going to be really exciting to watch too, because he was really contributing and stepping up. Yeah, for sure. So I think you consider all things right now, look at what they've done through 16 games, and you're pretty happy with how it's gone. I mean, there were concerns this year whether they would be a playoff team at all with the loss of Hayward and Kemba's health and the possibility of him not playing at all in some uh, skeptics' minds. So they're looking like not even a playing team right now. You know, that six yeah. through eight spot or six through 10 spot in the East is going to be a playing tournament. I'd say they're pretty firmly above that when it comes to how they're going to finish here. So, you know, I don't think there'll be fans in the playoffs this year. Who knows with how this vaccine rollout goes. So if you're the five seed versus the one seed, it doesn't really even matter. Yeah. And we saw that in the bubble. That was kind of the cool thing about it in the bubble too, was no team really had home court advantage. And so it was just really anybody's game 
at any time. And and it's it that's a cool thing. And it was like, yeah, the Lakers got the number one overall seed, but they weren't even playing at home. So it's it's I, I kind of like that because it just it makes an even playing field for everybody that gets in. You can you can get in as the eight seed, but be an equal playing field as the one seed. It's it's kind of cool. So it's it's not it, it, the stakes are a little bit different, and the circumstances and what you're playing for are different. Because at that point, you're you're just playing for a spot. You're not necessarily playing for seating because it doesn't really make a difference seating wise in that situation. So I I think you're right about the fans. I think, unfortunately, they probably won't be able to have fans there. I mean, it'd be great if they did, but I think, unfortunately, they won't. But it also just goes to show how important the fans are to the game because they really influence so much about how teams play. And I know that that was something that was a huge adjustment for a lot of the players in the bubble, too. And even now, being out of the bubble, just just the transition at the beginning of the season from playing in the bubble – to now coming back out and and adjusting to playing in a non-bubble setting, back to all the traveling and everything else, and still not having fans, it's not easy, you know. And and with Kemba coming into that all of that late, his teammates were already starting to get used to that type of stuff before he was too. So he was still trying to get acclimated with the post twenty twenty bubble play, and is now back. To, they're playing at the Garden, but with no fans. So that's definitely strange i think so we'll we'll see i think what what happens there but i i am definitely still a big kemba fan i i don't i don't really want to give up on him just yet and i i was impressed with the beginning of the season they played some hard teams to start the season there and they could have easily started the season with a losing record that was pretty bad but they ended up winning a lot of those games that that people didn't think they could win because they didn't have Kemba. So the, I agree with you about the playoff thing too. I think that there's, they have to focus on just making some adjustments, getting everything figured out now and getting that playoff spot. We don't need to put too much emphasis on last week's games. We, we have to focus on going forward and what can they do to perform when it comes to crunch time down the stretch. And if they were playing like this, you know, a few months from now and it was getting closer and closer to playoff time, then I'd start to feel more concerned about what I'm seeing. But I, I have faith and confidence. I feel like that the more games that Kemba plays, the more that some of those issues will resolve themselves. And unfortunately, injuries will always be a risk. Um, but I think that down the stretch, hopefully, as they play more and more games that that things will resolve themselves and that they'll figure some things out. But I do think a trade would be beneficial as well. And I, this actually transitions well into the next thing I want to talk about, because I've really been impressed overall by what I've seen from Tice this year. I thought that when they signed Tristan Thompson, that he was going to end up being more of the starting center, but now it really seems like, Tice might be better off in that role just because he's more versatile to me and, and he's a threat on both ends of the court more than Tristan Thompson is. So do you feel like for the rest of the season going forward, we'd see Tice more in that spot? Yeah, and we're already starting to. I think he, within the last week, has become Brad Stevens' top option at center. And yeah. 
was the starter when everyone was healthy the last few games. So they're seeing what we're seeing from him. He's been awesome. I think Daniel Tice just deserves so much credit and Daniel, Danny Ainge too, for finding him out of Germany and keeping tabs on him all those years, bringing him in that first year in 2017 and, you know, just developing him a little bit behind Baines and Horford and some of the other guys that were there during those years. He didn't get to play a ton those first two years. And then, 2020 comes around and he's the starting center and I thought he did an exceptional job last year and there's all these little things he does whether it's those seals in the lane he shoots the three at a great rate obviously and he's been on fire from three the last few weeks which has helped him get up to 14 points a game or so uh, he can, he's not a great shot blocker but he can block shots he's got good length inside and the thing that's so underrated about him is his transition defense is phenomenal. He gets back to the basket. He finds the guys. He can get out into the perimeter if they're looking for threes in transition. And he just knows where he needs to be positionally. I think he defends the pick and roll at a fantastic rate. And it's no coincidence as he's played more, the Celtics defense has gotten a little bit better. Now, I still have my gripes about their defense. But within the last week, we've seen them hold down the Bulls, who score 110 just showing up most nights. I think they held them to like 103. Uh, they held the Cavaliers down in a huge blowout win to below 100. And then they kept that Lakers game to the 90s as well. So the defense has gotten better with him in there. I'm, I'm bummed about Tristan, and I know you are too if you had hope for him. He just looks completely out of sorts. And all of a sudden now he's in a position where Tice is playing better than him. Rob certainly has. I think Rob's been great this year, Rob Williams. So... Uh, Tristan Thompson, it's like, where does it leave him? Is he even part of the team at this point? Can he work his way back in limited minutes to being an impact player? But at some point, you just have to play the guys who are getting it done so you can get these wins wherever you can. So it's a tough mix right now of experimenting and uh, trying to get wins wherever you can right now. But when these results have been all over the place, every win feels a little bit more important. So it's no surprise to me within the last week that you've seen Tristan's minutes diminished a little bit. And uh, Tice and Rob have played together in the last game on the floor a little bit. I think Stevens has been creative in finding ways to get all three of them minutes. And of course, yeah. against the Spurs, he got 13 people minutes, which drove some people crazy. But I, I've always heard that from Celtics players, that that sense that you could be involved at any given time. And we've seen it with Taco. We've seen it with Carson Edwards. Some of the guys deep, deep on that bench, they always have the feeling that they're involved and can be called on at any moment. And even tonight, you know, Smart's down. Uh, Pritchard's still down. I wouldn't be surprised at all if you saw some minutes for Tremont Waters, who has started a game this year, even though he hasn't played a ton else. So uh, to bring it back to Tice, I'm I'm just in love with Tice's game. Again, I I, I got into some feuds with Twitter earlier in the year about like just how great he is. And there's all this talk about, is he great relative to his contract or is he actually a great player? It's so tough to gauge because I do think against a Bam Adebayo and a Joel Embiid, Tice is not your best no. matchup for those guys. But like in yeah. 30 against 30 teams on the whole, he gives you great production. I think he meshes well with Tice and uh, Tatum and Brown and some of these other guys who use the pick and roll to score well. And there's just a comfort level with him out there. Again, I don't think Smart, Tatum, these guys looked all that comfortable playing with Tristan to start the year. And Tice gets back in there and there's just a greater level of comfort and he deserves an exceptional amount of credit. I think he's probably been one of the best five Celtics so far. Yeah, no, he's, he's such a fun player to watch. And, and there were so many people at the beginning of the year that, 
had their doubts about him this year. And with Tristan Thompson coming in, I honestly had high hopes for him. And I really thought that he was going to be the one that's essentially doing what Tice is doing now and, and fulfill that, that role as the starting center. And Tice is, is be, just becoming more and more valuable and just proving how much he can really do out there. And if I had to pick somebody down the stretch in must-win crucial games, I would want Tice out there just based on what I've seen. And I don't know what is going on with, with Tristan Thompson, but he's just – you're right. It seems like he's out of sorts or he's just – has is distracted by something and, it, and he's just not playing the way that we're used to seeing him play. Yeah. Again, I didn't, it's not like I watched every Cavaliers game the last few years, but we remember when he used to kill the Celtics, maybe that made me a little biased because he always played so well against Boston, Uh, but he he was a great player last year. I think he averaged a double-double. He had great efficiency around the post area as a scorer. He was obviously on a bad team that got him a lot of shots and more opportunity and more minutes and all these things. But I always knew him as a great defender more than anything. And he has gotten torched in every big matchup he's had to play this year, whether it be Embiid or Kevin Durant on switches in that Brooklyn game. He's he's just been a non-factor defensively. And the team's defensive rating sank every time he was on the court. So maybe that hamstring injury is affecting him in some sort of way from the offseason. Maybe he just isn't a great fit on this team. But I made a big case early in the year that he was going to be a game changer for this team with the defense and rebound he brings to the table. And I'll give him credit. He's been a good rebounder so far. That's about all he gives them. Uh, He's a zero in the scoring department many nights. Uh, He's not moving well, as you've noticed. I just don't know what it is. And they're paying him $9 million, which isn't going to break the bank. It's a two-year deal. So maybe they end up finding a way to move him at some point if it just doesn't work out here. I don't think it's an impossible contract to move. But right now, they're kind of stuck in a limbo between trying to ramp him up and get him going and playing better guys because there's no doubt right now Tyson and Rob have just soared ahead of him. So I think tonight, uh, in, they're playing at 10 o'clock tonight as we record this. I want to see Rob and Tice start together. I thought that was an awesome look against the Lakers. Yeah, and- I like that combination a lot, which is weird. Which is weird to say because I think that that that's kind of something that people wouldn't really expect. But I do like that combination a lot. And you know what it is? People went crazy about the uh, two centers on the floor because to start the year they were playing Tyson Thompson together and. It, it looks like it was just Thompson weighing that whole unit down. It wasn't the fact that it was two centers because Rob and Tice played together last game and it was fantastic. I think it was like a 122 offensive rating and 89 defensive rating. So like there's potential to play with a lot of size and fill the court with rebounders and shot blockers and defenders and stuff the way they envisioned it this year. It's a killer that Thompson's not working out because – there were obviously other options that they could have spent that money on. Maybe a wing like uh, Jay Crowder has been mentioned yeah. in that spot. There weren't a ton of wings on the market, but they've needed help at that spot. And right now it looks like they just have one too many centers. Grant Williams is getting hurt by not being able to play some minutes at center right now. So again, Danny Ainge isn't perfect. This looks like it could have been a mistake if it keeps going this way to spend that money the way he did. I think Jeff T hasn't been great so far either. There are other free agent signing. Uh, so. Great draft so far when you think of Pritchard from Ainge this offseason. Not so great free agent class. Yeah, exactly. And and going into it, I don't think people thought that was the case. I really yeah. thought that they would have played better, you know, but it's just 
if this continues like this, you have to wonder if they would consider moving Tristan Thompson or trying to figure out some way where they can maybe work him into a trade of some kind at some point, not necessarily now, but you have to wonder what his future with this team would be if he doesn't start to show any improvement or so that he's can, he can really be productive offensively. Yeah, I've talked to a couple people about how movable his contract would be. It's $18 million for two years. Yeah, You don't usually see a second year on a mid-level deal like his, which was weird, but probably what it took to get him in a tight competitive center market. I know Toronto wanted him and some other teams out there. Cleveland probably wanted to keep him. Uh, but Boston ended up giving him the best offer, and that's why he's here. So now it could be tough to move if they want to end up making a deal like that. I'd be patient with it. I'd just try to see if this can work out. They already traded a first-round pick to move Ennis Cantor, which is looking unfortunate because Cantor would have been an expiring deal. He played well with the Celtics last year, and he was a guy who was fine moving between the bench and not playing at all some nights and other nights being the starter. So that like, you know, sometimes you make bad personnel decisions and they start to compound each other. Like you move a first round pick to get rid of Cantor looking for something better. And it actually looks like Cantor was the better player. And now you might have to use a first round pick to move Thompson. So that can happen sometimes where you make a mistake and it leads to another mistake. And then maybe you trade that first round pick to get rid of Thompson. And that ends up becoming a great player for that team. So uh, they, they're going to have some versatility with the roster right now because they have so many young players. I think they're going to be able to use picks, whether it's to get rid of a guy like Thompson or to add another player. They have their own picks for years to come. Uh, so I think that's going to be a route that they have now to make some improvements or make some adjustments on their roster. And like I said earlier, this team looks like it does need a move, maybe two to pad its depth and fill some holes yeah. right now. Yeah, definitely. I think we we need to see something before, you know, we need to see something relatively soon if they want to seriously make a finals run because I just really feel like they're still not enough and there's still holes that need to be filled if they want to really go all the way. And yeah, they will of course be a playoff team and they'll they could go pretty deep in the playoffs, but we we go through this every year where they get so far and they just can't go all the way. And and there are a lot of other teams in the East that can contend. You know, Philly's playing really, really well right now. Obviously Brooklyn is is in there, Milwaukee. And I think that I think I so I think that if you take all of that into consideration, I think that there is some moves that need to be made and I think that we will we will see something happen. I don't think that it'll stay as is now. I think we will see something happen. It's just a matter of what that entails. But I do like, and I, I preached this earlier on in the season, right after the season started, I preached that I really like how everybody's been getting involved. Everybody's everybody's seen some minutes and the young players have been mixing in well. And here's where that becomes important now when you have players like Marcus Smart that are getting injured or, you know, Jason Tatum being out because of COVID exposure. So this is where this is where having everybody involved and having the young players be acclimated in with the offense is it, really showing now how important that was that he was mixing everybody in at the beginning of the season because now you have players that kind of know what role they need to fill when they go out on the court. 
Yeah, to go back to that trade conversation, and they haven't made an in-season trade in quite a few years. I think yeah. it's going back to Isaiah Thomas when they made that deal at the deadline that they haven't made one since. Yeah. So they were in an interesting spot the last couple of years where they lost a lot of players in 2019. So they had to fill out the roster, and draft picks are a part of doing that. They had some hopes that that Memphis pick that they got in the Jeff Green deal way back was going to be a great pick. It ultimately wasn't ended up being like 14th overall. So they were in a place the last few years where they used like 16 first round picks or first and second round picks in four years. So that just loaded this roster with young players, which you get why those players are cheaper. There's the potential you hit on some of those, but they really haven't. And that has killed this bench. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's made the team lean on some unreliable guys like Grant Williams and Rob Williams in the playoffs last year who, ended up being their center depth because they weren't able to add another guy in free agency or trades that year. And I get why they didn't want to make deals in those years. You know, you had four expensive players, whether it was Kyrie Irving, Kemba, uh, most recently Gordon Hayward, who I know they hoped that they would have been able to keep. And if you have four expensive players on a roster, you're going to have to have cheap bench players in there too. You really can't afford you know, these medium-sized contracts. Marcus Smart is already one of those. So the team had gotten so expensive to a point where I think they were trying to downsize and make things a little cheaper and go younger and have some guys that could grow into the future. And that ultimately didn't work. And I think it killed them the last two playoff runs where they had to lean on some younger guys, especially last postseason, uh, in for depth. So this year, I would be stunned if they don't make a pick just because or make an addition trade wise because they have picks to offer. They already have so many young players on the team that I can't see them using any more picks into the future. I mean, they just had three in this last draft and they had to trade one for basically nothing when it was said yeah. and done. So like... There's always this conversation of, do you overpay? Does Ainge drive too hard of a bargain on these trades? I get why he would have these last few years, but now a lot of teams are going to be buying at this deadline because 10 teams are making the playoffs in each conference. And the Celtics are obviously missing a player because they lost Hayward and all they got back for that was an exception that they can use in trades. So that exception is basically floating around now as a player that doesn't exist on the team. So yeah. like you consider all these things right now, I can't imagine a world where they don't make a trade this year, even if they have to get a little more aggressive to make it, get it done because they have assets to offer right now. And when you have Tatum and Brown playing this well, I think it's worth it to make an aggressive charge to try to win this year. I wouldn't be stunned if Danny Ainge looked back on last year and said, we had Hayward, Brown, uh, Kemba, and Tatum rolling, and we couldn't get to the finals. When we ended up facing Miami in the East Finals to you know, get there, we didn't even have to see Milwaukee on the way there, the one seed. So that must kill them. And I think there were some lessons learned there that you can always say, if we're healthy, we're going to be great. You can say that again this year. If this team's healthy, they probably get what they need to make a finals run, but you can never count on health. So like some part of making additions too is to get guys who can be reliable if Kemba gets hurt, if Smart's not available, if one of the centers gets hurt or something like that, or even, you know, Lord willing that they don't, Brown or Tatum run into something down the line. Like you want to have guys who can fill in reliably so that yeah. if one of those players goes down in the playoffs, your playoff run isn't just over because of an injury. 
Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with you. I, I would be very disappointed if they don't make a trade this year. I, I, I'd be like, what do you have? You, there's no reason not to. Every every scenario is pointing to making some kind of trade. And about the whole going for a championship this year, I mean, yeah, they can. They definitely can do that. And I think that if they do make a trade of some sort, I think that they can go all the way this year with the way that some of those players are looking. And that Brown and Tatum combination, that's going to be one of the best duos in the league going forward If they, if they, they, as long as they don't split them up. And I kind of laugh now because I know there were people at the beginning of the season saying we should trade Jalen Brown for James Harden. And I was like, absolutely not. I was like, I don't want that to happen. I don't want James Harden here. I don't think that he would be a good mix for this team. Um, Jalen Brown is a young, talented player that could have a really successful career here. So I really don't want to trade for James Harden. And look what he's doing now. I mean, I would be, I would have been so disappointed if, if they did something like that and they traded Jalen Brown because he's really proving to be an extremely valuable asset to this team. And if they want to make a serious championship run, I don't think that they could have, could have had that possibility as much if they had Harden over Jalen Brown. Yeah, and Jalen Brown is just such an easy player to root for. He's fun. He's got a great charisma to him on the court, lots of flair, incredibly efficient, defends like crazy. That's what you love about Tatum and Brown too. They're both defensive players. They make your defense better. And then there's obviously all the off-the-court contributions to society that Brown has made that make him incredibly uh, inspiring to root for as well. I remember back in 2019 where they were talking about whether they should extend them, maybe whether they should bring them to market and see you know, what kind of deal he gets. And they ended up coming to a deal like hours before the deadline on a five-year extension with him that worked out for both sides. Uh, near max for him and that guaranteed last year and you know the Celtics end up locking him up and don't have to get into a bidding war there and possibly pay him the max at that point and I remember thinking like this you think of what he's going to be down the line he had already made the Harvard speech at that point Uh, it was just before the Black Lives Matter movement got ramped up and he ended up being a big contributing factor in that I I thought at that time, like you think of Bill Russell and the significance that he had in the civil rights movement and just some of these great figures in Celtics history who made things happen like that. Casey Jones, who just passed away. Yeah. You want it, you know, obviously it's great that he's a fantastic player and that's why you pay him the money. But like on top of that, you want Jalen Brown and his contributions to society remembered for being in a Celtics uniform. And that, that more than anything was like, just get this done. Don't even take this to market. Don't have any bad feelings here. He's worth it. And there were questions about whether he'd be worth it as a player at that time. But coming into this year, he made it he made it known right away that he was a top 15, 20 player in this league, just like Jason Tatum. And you mentioned the James Harden trade. It was almost like that got mentioned one day. And then the next day he was playing better than Harden. And he has this whole yeah. season so far. So that is just one of the best stories in the NBA to start this year, how incredibly dominant he's been game in and game out. Consistency was always a question with him. He would have games like that in the past, but it was like, all right, can he do this the next night? And now it's every single night he's 25 points pretty much. So he's right there with Tatum for years to come. I mean, there it, it was initially Tatum and then whatever you can get from Brown. Now it's Tatum and Brown coming at you every night. So that's what makes you think in today's league where it's more two stars than three stars, unless it's the Nets with Harden, Irving, and uh, Durant. They've kind of brought back that big three. You need two great stars to uh, win right now. 
you know, LeBron and Davis, Kawhi and George, and Tatum and Brown are on pretty much anybody's level when it comes to a one-two punch in this league right now. So that's what you need. You got to make maybe minor adjustments around that, but Tatum and Brown to start this year have showed that they can be more than enough as the hardest part of the team to put together, your top end stars. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, it, it's so exciting to watch them come out every night, and and it's I, special. And you're like, I yeah. just tell fans enjoy it because this is so rare. Like, you, Antoine Walker and Paul Pierce were great back in the day, and even they weren't this good, especially this young. I mean, these guys are in their early twenties, and they could be here for ten to fifteen years, uh, having who knows, maybe Hall of Fame careers if all goes right. So this is just. You never know what's going to happen, if they're going to stay long-term, if they're going to go, if injuries happen. So, like, just enjoy it right now and hope that they make the most of it because, you know, nothing lasts forever. Sports, like, we thought the Warriors were going to be great for 10 years and only ended up being five years. So, you never know. So, just enjoy, like, every single game of this. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I think that the defense, as we mentioned earlier, is definitely something that needs to be addressed for the rest of this season if they want to make a serious run because there's a lot of frustrations on the defensive side of the ball. But, yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you say about how everybody needs to just enjoy what they're seeing from these two right now because this is something special. And I think that they're due for that. They were due for that for that kind of dynamic duo. And it's really cool to see them come out every night. And it's going to be really exciting in the future to see them just as they even develop into even better players than they are now. And they continue to grow because them being so young is awesome. And they still have so much of their career left, hopefully, we hope, obviously. Um, and so it's going to be really cool, I think, to see how they develop as players and and really, really develop themselves on this team and, and just make their mark with the Celtics. So that's going to be awesome going forward, I think. And I, I hope that Marcus Smart recovers smoothly too. I mean, that was tough to watch him go down. Um, or how concerned are you about tonight's game with him being out now too? We'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm interested to see what the rotations are going to be. I think Stevens will find some interesting ways to replace him. Again, I wouldn't be stunned if you see Tremont Waters because of how uh, determined and uh, reliable defensively he is on that end of the floor. Chase Steph Curry around for a little bit because obviously he's the centerpiece of that offense. With James Wiseman out, he's the only guy you worry all that much about with that offense. And Clay Thompson is obviously down for the year with that team as well. So they haven't been a great offense. I think I looked this morning, they were 23rd in the league in offensive efficiency. Yeah, so they, uh, they can be defended fairly easy at this point. But it leaves a big hole on the offense, facilitating lob threats, all this different stuff that Marcus Smart did, pull-up shooting, shooting off the catch. It leaves you down not only a point guard, but another wing. He kind of floated between those two positions of the team. So I, my idea was to bring Rob out there and play double big a little bit so you only have to have two forwards and a guard because, like we said, Jeff Teague has not been that remarkable this year. He can maybe give you a few minutes of productive minutes that they'll have to rely on. Um, and he'll obviously get an opportunity to fill this hole and see if he can play better. But can Carson Edwards get it done? They've they've been impressed with what they've seen in him in practice and limited opportunities so far. Not the best defensive player, but a guy who can replace some of that offensive end of things. And then maybe Waters fills in uh, to some degree on the defensive end of the floor right now. But they're thin. And 
you just hope every day in and day out, Peyton Pritchard is on this trip. Uh, he went through a light practice last night, so they're going to need him back sooner rather than later if they're going to pull any wins out of this road trip right now because that guard spot, if Teague is struggling as he's been, is incredibly thin, and they're going to be scrapping for minutes there, especially with Kemba Walker still on a minutes limit right now. So I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that we'll see at least some minutes from Waters and Edwards tonight. Yeah, no, I can, I, I, I definitely think so too. Um, and you know, I think that would be, would be a good thing for them to be able to just get some more minutes out there, but it's definitely a, a loss and it's definitely going to be noticeable. I think not having Marcus smart out there, cause there was a lot that he did that was important to contribute that I think is going to be lacking, but you know, I, I'm excited to see how it goes. I, I still am confident and I think that they'll be okay with tonight's game against the Warriors, but I think the rest of the road trip could be concerning, you know, if they don't have Peyton, Peyton Pritchard to be able to be reliable, to rely on him to be able to come out and, and, uh, and play either. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be a tough road trip, I think, maybe, and might might be a little bit frustrating. But if we can kind of just rotate people in as necessary, I think it could be a good thing to see who else that they have that they can rely on for these types of things happening in the future. Yeah, the good thing is Tatum and Brown have had plenty of experience setting up the offense at this point. So if they need a have the ball in their hands, more possessions and play that point guard role. They're going to, and then whatever ends up being the best option on the wing, Edwards, Ojale, uh, Javante green has been a reliable player this year. They can fit that in wherever because they're positionless. So like you could even see a lineup like Tatum, Brown, uh, Edwards, green, and a center. Like they don't necessarily need a point guard out there because these guys can handle the ball. Now it's good too. You'd like to just to limit the turnovers and other things like that. And, let some other guys who are great off the ball get off the ball. Um, but you got to do what you got to do at this point to win. So that's the great thing about this team, not necessarily being rigid in the lineups that they play. They can go bigger. They can go smaller. They could do some three guard combinations. If Teague ends up playing well, you could maybe do Kemba Teague and uh, a guy like Edwards as well. So like there's a million different ways that they could go with this golden state's a smaller team. So yeah. they'll probably chase Boston smaller a little bit here uh but you're right this ro road trip's gonna be hard it's gonna be hard to get wins in any of these games warriors i think they can win this one tonight in fact i see that the, yeah. the, the kings tomorrow are the worst defense in the nba so you would hope they would be able to take that one yeah um, but the back end i think it's clippers who are just on fire that'd be easy yeah and the suns have been really good too i think that's the five games on the or four or five games on that trip. I might be forgetting one at the very end of it, but all those teams out West are always tough. It's good being in the Eastern conference. We don't have to play those teams every day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. I think it'll be good to see what happens and I'm excited for tonight's game. I think it's going to be, it should be a good game with, with everything that the Celtics have going on right now, but hopefully we can kind of get Kemba back up to speed sooner rather than later also, because I think that would save a lot of frustration for people too. So definitely really exciting. I'm excited to see how the rest of the season goes. And I hope that they can make some adjustments and make some moves before the trade deadline and hopefully really start to make to see that championship run and envision maybe that 
finals run that we've been missing. So we'll see. I think it should be a good rest of the season. But I do appreciate you joining me on the show this evening. Everybody, you know where to find Boston Balling. It's on any podcast streaming platform and all social media platforms. Um, so I appreciate everybody tuning in every week. And I'd like to thank my loyal listeners, as always, for always tuning in. So I, you're definitely really appreciated. This was another fun episode of Boston Balling. I'll catch you all next week at my usual time. Have a good week, everybody.